0: On this episode of This Week in Linux, we're going to cover a lot of great news, like the latest release of OBS Studio. Mozilla is teaming up with KaiOS, System76 announced they're going to be making a keyboard, and Linux Mint's LMDE4 was released this week. We're also going to check out some ideas that the community came up with for what to do while in club quarantine. And we'll also check out a new project related to Linux printing called PAPPL. Just rolls right off the tongue. Later in the show, we'll discuss a few controversial topics. Purism announced a new product called Libra Mini, and it's been met with some mixed reactions and a lot of criticism. Microsoft announced some news related to WSL2 and that they are buying NPM, a very sizable package manager for the JavaScript programming language. All that and much more coming up. I'm Michael Tanell with Tux Digital and the Destination Linux Network, and this is your weekly source for Linux good news. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrator firewalls, load balancers, and more. You can get all this plus access to their world-class customer support for as low as $5 per month. And if you're not sure what you want to put on those one of those droplets, you can check out any of their over 2,000 cloud-agnostic tutorials to help you decide what you want to do, as well as stay up to date with the latest open-source software, languages, and frameworks. You can get started on DigitalOcean for two months for free with a $100 credit by going to do.co/dln. Again, you can get started on DigitalOcean for that $100 credit by going to do.co/dln. And thanks again to DigitalOcean for sponsoring this week in Linux and the Destination Linux Network. So up first in the show is an awkward topic because it's the topic that's pretty much covered the entire news space of everything for months now. And I don't want to go into a huge depth about, because that's not what this show is. I'm not going to go into depth about the topic and everything. Uh, And I also want this show to be sort of an outlet for all of that. So like instead of thinking about that you can come check out this show to have some fun and talk about like Linux and you know learn about various things that are happening in the Linux world. So I'm not going to go in super in depth on that, but I did want to cover some interesting things because there was a thread on Reddit about you know boredom relief during the quarantine. So one of the topics that was suggested, I didn't know these sites existed, which are pretty cool. Uh, there's what can I do for? websites. So for example, there's what can I do for LibreOffice.org and what can I do for fedora.org. And both of these websites are basically you go there and say, you know, uh, is there anything I can do? And it gives you a suggestion. If you don't like that suggestion, you just click the next button and it gives you another suggestion. If you are interested in the suggestion it gives you, you can click to learn more and it will give you more steps to, you know, more questions to find out what kind of thing you're wanting to work on. And when you find something, it will take you to, like for example, if you wanted to do design for Fedora, it would then ask you, do you want to join the design team or look at tasks? And you just choose what you want, and it takes you directly to that page on their wiki or whatever. It's a really interesting idea, and I really like that approach. I hope there's more websites where that that comes from, like that kind of style. It's really interesting. Another user suggested to check out firstcontributions.github.io. It's a website that explains how to use Git and lists projects where you can help even as a beginner. Now, this this is specifically from GitHub, so it has a lot of stuff related to GitHub, but it also does teach you just how to use Git in general if you want to contribute in that way. And there's also other ways to contribute that they are listing, like for example, writing documentation, filing bug reports, uh, quality insurance tests, uh, insurance assurance testing for projects. And in regards to bug reports, if you do file bug reports, be sure to let them know like what steps they need to do to reproduce that bug, so it makes it easier for them to actually you know test it and see it. There was also another interesting one from Spanholz. He said suggested about mapping for OpenStreetMap. So OpenStreetMap is a basically a, com- a competitor to Google Maps and Bing Maps and all the other stuff, but it's created by like a uh, collaborative effort to put in data from the community. So if you want to check out OpenStreetMap and see if there's anything that you can you know improve upon, uh, definitely check that out because that's pretty interesting. And another idea that someone offered was G-Compress. Now this is a uh, high-quality educational software suite that is for activities for children anywhere between 2 and 10 years old. Some of the activities are also game related, so that you might like that. And there's, uh, there's a, here's a list of some of the categories you can check out. So there's computer discovery, like learning about keyboard, mouse, touchscreen, interaction, and that kind of thing. There's also reading help where you, they could uh, learn how to get like, you know better, faster typing, uh, reading practice, you know, just just letters and words, like you know, just that kind of teaching. So like for ch- for you know younger children, there's also arithmetic stuff. There's uh, learning about operations and enumeration, even double entry table stuff. Uh, science has uh, uh, like the water cycle, renewable energy, geography. You can learn about countries and regions and cultures. Uh, there's even a, a list of games where you can learn about how to play chess, uh, memory games. Uh, there's even like tic tac toe stuff and a variety of other things. And it's, it's, it's pretty interesting. And it's also got a lot more that I didn't list because there's actually over 100 activities that you can have your children use in this software. So that's really cool. And even more are being developed at the time so if you want to learn more about that i'll have a link to that in the in the show notes and i'll also have a link to the reddit thread if you want to check out the other things that i didn't list because there's quite a few suggestions on there uh, but the g-compress is a really interesting thing because i didn't know about it prior to this and it's actually made by the kd community so uh, it's kind of interesting that they named it g-compress because that anyway shiro, uh, shiro reddit user says uh, my daughter loves GCompris. Sometimes I put uh, Tux Paint on there for her, but GCompris is her favorite. It's tough competing with iPads and commercial software, but these days, but there are still some little-known gems like this available. So that's really awesome. So check that out if you have to, if you ever do like homeschooling for your kids and that kind of thing. And also, uh, there's some free games to check out right now. Uh, basically there's not much time left for the tomb raider game but their tomb raider is tomb raider and an expansion game is also available uh for free right now uh this it'll be probably a couple hours once this episode releases it'll still be available for a couple more hours uh but there's also gonna be drawful 2 that's available and that's gonna be available for uh, like a couple like another couple weeks or so i'm not sure i don't remember exactly when it was but in a couple weeks or so. And there's also been a lot of other games that are available for free. You can check out, like uh, Spooky Ghosts, uh, dot, I think it's uh, Luca Born of a Dream, uh, Gun Metal Arcadia Zero, Super Rad Raygun, and many other ones. Even like the Half Life franchise still has it where you play, you know, free to play uh, while uh, kind of like a celebration for the release of the new half-life alex game which is coming out later this year for linux it's going to be coming out soon for i think i don't know if sure it's out for windows yet or not but somewhere if you want to check out any of these games and you know these kind of these links i'll have uh, links to the uh, gaming on linux thread or article about these games you can have a link for that and i'll have the link to g and the reddit thread as well in the show notes below Up next in the show this week is OBS Studio 25. Now, this is a really, really awesome application. I'm a huge fan of this application. In fact, I use it to make this podcast as well as the other podcasts that I do like the Destination Linux podcast. I use it for all the visual elements for both pod, for both shows because it's a very very powerful application. It allows you to do all kinds of stuff very seamlessly and quickly. So for well, I mean, and I guess not quickly in terms of like creating the different scenes and sources and stuff, but quickly in the terms of like not having to edit different pieces in and out of the application or like during the post production process saves me a lot of time in that case and it also allows me to do all these different graphics stuff I mean I did the graphics in a different program but the all the different like how I'm putting it together and making everything work including this uh, logo underneath me you see all these logos that are scrolling up and down these are the distributions uh, logos that I like to, I just wanted to do that it wasn't necessary but OBS allowed me to do it so I did and I like it let me know what you think if you want in the comments below but I think it's really cool And OBS allows me to do all kinds of stuff, and they're going to allow you to do even more with this latest release. So if you are interested in OBS, definitely check out the link below because it is fantastic software. Uh, Probably one of the most important uh, media production-related open source projects that exist. I'm not saying it's the most important, but definitely one of the most. Maybe top five, maybe. I mean, top ten for sure. Maybe top five. uh, Depends on who you ask, I guess. Uh, but Destination Linux and This Week in Linux are both heavily powered by OBS. So I'm always excited to talk about the latest release whenever it comes out. And this is no exception. So OBS Studio 25 has a new browser plugin. Now, the Windows version is, has had a browser plugin for a very long time. And the Linux version has had a third party tool that is a browser plugin uh, project, which I've been using. In fact, the OBS website you're seeing right here is using that plugin. Uh, but this latest version of OBS 25 has the plugin that plugin uh, integrated into the official support, which allows you, also allows you to do a bunch of other stuff, like doing drag and drop support from websites. So you can te- you can just drag a URL into the create, into the OBS to create a browser source, which is awesome. And they've also done some improvements to having. Uh, a new, uh, the ability to control the source's volume so like for example in the audio mixer you could control the slider and stuff like that but you couldn't lock that volume now this would be interesting for a mu- music player in the back music being played in the background if you can lock that you can make sure that the next time you load that m- audio you wouldn't have to adjust it to make sure it's accurate it would be able to lock it a specific volume which is awesome because there's so many different variables you could come up with to use that and it's just, it seems like it's not that big of a deal, but it's just a huge time saver and really nice. And also, they've added support for the open source SRT protocol. They've added the a new ability to copy and paste selected sources. Now, this is fantastic copying and pasting multiple selected sources. You could already copy one or two, you know, one at a time, and then make a, a reference paste or a duplicate paste and that kind of thing, which is really nice. Saved me a lot of time, you know, having to rebuild things when I made my 40 to 50 scenes uh, per podcast. There's a lot of scenes. They give me a hard time on DL that it's more than that. They say it's like 700 or something. It's not that bad, but it is a lot. It, it is a lot, I admit that. Anyway, this makes it even easier for me to make even more scenes which is fantastic because I can copy and paste multiple sources at the same time and just make a ridiculous, maybe even can make 400 scenes with this. I mean, I probably won't because that's excessive, but who knows? Maybe in the future, who knows? They've also added the ability to capture Vulkan-based games with the game capture sources, and they've added media source hotkeys to allow control of playback. Now this is really awesome because there are some times where you'd have a you know a video in your OBS that when you switch to the scene, it would start playing the video. But my it might not always be efficient to have it like immediately when you switch. So you could switch to that scene, have that video playing, and then hit a shortcut key to automatically restart the video from where you want to do it. So you could do like a recording uh, you know, if you need to make multiple takes and stuff like that, I mean, I don't need to make multiple takes. I'm so good, I just do it one take. Uh, this is actually probably like the sixth take of this one, so I'm kidding. But anyway, this is really awesome and it allows you to do this control for playback of stop, pause, play, and restart with hotkeys. So that is awesome. They also have uh, plans to do uh, implementation for the user interface, so you could use that, re- you know, that kind of control. You know, through uh, clicking through, a bu- through your button, but the hotkeys are something I use all the time. And another cool thing about OBS is that it's not even been out a week yet, and they've already got two hot fixes releases. Uh, you know, that's not saying that, you know, it's great because there's bugs or whatever, but the fact that they, if they find a fix or find a bug and they fix it so quickly, that's another awesome thing about OBS. So I'm a big fan of OBS if you haven't figured that out after me saying that 50 times. But uh, yeah. You'll find a link to OBS Studio 25 in the show notes below. Up next in the show is Mozilla teaming up with KaiOS. Now this is some really awesome news because KaiOS, if you're not aware, is the fork of Firefox OS that was originally made by Mozilla. But they decided that it wasn't going to be sustainable for them, so they decided to, well, stop creating it and KaiOS forked it to make the, well, KaiOS Technologies is also the name, KaiOS is the name of the company, as well as the operating system, so it's kind of confusing when I, which one I'm referring to, but anyway, we're just going to go with KaiOS for now, and KaiOS is a fork of that Firefox OS, so it's really awesome that they continued it, and now Mozilla is getting back into this, this position of this project to help make it even better, which is fantastic. So, Mozilla says this, They're, they say, we're happy to partner with KaiOS, a company that shares our commitment to an internet that includes all of the peoples of the earth. A version of Gecko, the implementation of the web platform in Firefox, is currently used by KaiOS to render the web on their devices. This partnership will help ensure that KaiOS remains a robust and secure web platform, bringing their version of Gecko more up-to-date and keeping it up-to-date with the latest features, website compatibility, and security fixes, This partnership is an example of how Mozilla can partner with other groups that wish to use Gecko, leveraging the tools and services that the Mozilla team used to ship Firefox today. And the KaiOS team says this. They say that we're excited to be working closely with Mozilla. Mozilla's work on boot to Gecko served as the backbone of KaiOS from the beginning. Through this partnership, we can enable new features, improve security, and ensure better overall performance of KaiOS. Broadly speaking, these updates will mean many first-time internet users gain access to more of the web's advanced digital services and devices that are affordable, reliable, and secure. One of the great things about KaiOS and Firefox OS is that it was very lightweight, so it could be on all kinds of different hardware. It doesn't need to be a flagship device, which is fantastic. So they say that we expect the partnership uh, from this partnership that says there's optimized OS performance for apps, websites, and services. And there's also some other things that they've mentioned that it is possible like enhanced device APIs and feature compatibility will be more improved, uh, upgrade to internet security and connection speeds via TLS 1.3, and additional hardware-optimized technologies uh, like Web, WebGL 2.0 will be having advanced graphics and th- for 3D games. The WebP AV1 stuff for image and video codecs will be improved. A lot of other improvements like you know, getting better uh, up-to-date languages support like advanced CSS for better web experience, async JavaScript functions for enhanced web uh, app responsiveness, and progressive web app support for improved browsing experience and ease of uh, advanced apps development. All kinds of other stuff being done, and this is fantastic because... I was really a big fan of Firefox OS, and I was really disappointed when they got when it got uh, discontinued. And then KaiOS came up and was like, "Oh, this is awesome. There's another continuation of it." To see them merge together—not merge, but partner together—to make it even better is just a fantastic turn of events in terms of this uh, situation. Because I am a big fan of KaiOS uh, and Firefox OS, so having them—you know—having Mozilla jump back into this game, in this space is fantastic to hear. So I can't wait to see what happens with it, and I look forward to seeing uh, how how much better KaiOS can be. And if you'd like to learn more about this, I'll have a link to both the Mozilla blog post and the KaiOS blog post in the show notes below. Up next in the show, System76 announced they're going to be making a keyboard, and they expect it to be at the end of the summer this year when it will be available. Uh, but they've listed about like their approach to what they're going to be doing to create this keyboard. And uh, Carl Richel, the CEO of System76, says everyone uses their keyboard differently due to ergonomics, convenience, or to account for a dominant hand. Or, and he says, and it's that time that we created a keyboard to accommodate these things. Our research, we found that space bars typically, for example, are way too long, which means your strongest digit, your thumb, isn't very useful. Most of the time you use your pinky because useful keys are out at the extremities of the keyboard, so we wanted to change that. We wanted a better layout. You're going to have less strain on your hands because instead of using your, th- your pinkies, you'll be using your thumbs for common keystrokes and key combinations. Uh, the second piece is configurability. A lot of other customers are ex- experts in their field, and they have their own unique shortcuts and tools, making a keyboard programmable for specific tools, making it a better interface for using that kind of tool. just uh, gives them a lot more ability to have a custom workflow, which is, in my opinion, fantastic. So they also say that easy configurability, we made all the keys only three sizes so you can swap them out. And we're building software that makes it easy to change your configuration and add function layers to suit your needs. This is fantastic. I'm I'm a big fan of the mechanical keyboards. I actually, I'll admit something, I didn't even try a mechanical keyboard until 2019 so as a as a as a tech nerd and a Linux nerd, not having tried a mechanical keyboard is kind of weird, considering it's been like a two, oh, multiple decades at this point. And once I tried it, I was like, "I don't know. I don't really see the appeal of a mechanical keyboard. I don't see the appeal of having a custom keyboard like this." And then it was like, fifteen minutes in, I understood the appeal. They're fantastic. Mechanical keyboards are awesome. So I'm so looking forward to seeing what happens with this because I mean System76 makes great products and I really am really interested in checking out their keyboard that they're gonna make because it has all this configurability and stuff and also this new approach to using a keyboard because as they say the space bar is gigantic and that's true so I want to see what happens they've they've shown some screenshots of what it was gonna look like in like a you know a prototyping thing uh, but that we don't know exactly what it's gonna be fully but I am definitely interested. They say we always take an iterative approach. We started with theories and ideas. We found some of them that worked very well and some things that didn't, like the unit the one unit right shift key, and we moved forward from there, repeating the process as necessary. And they they were when they were asked what are you most proud of with this project, Carl says, the harmony between physical hardware and the operating system. For example, auto-tiling in our upcoming Pop! OS 2004 release is designed to work extremely well with this keyboard, which is fantastic and a great segue to let you know about Destination Linux Episode 166 that's coming out. We actually talked about Pop! OS and their new tiling, as well as tiling window managers in general. But, you know, check that out if you're interested in learning more about Pop! OS and their tiling system. And Carl also says you can plug it in and use it like any other keyboard, but you're going to have to have less strains on your on your hands because instead of using your pinkies, you'll be using your thumbs for all those common keystrokes and that kind of thing. And he says another thing we found uh, with our research is that most people use their right their right or left thumb for the space bar, but rarely both. We split the space bar so that you can assign one button to another task if you're one of those people who like to choose you know, you do only one, you could get it, make it shift or backspace and stuff like that. And I've never, I think I actually use both. I'm not sure I'll have to do some testing because I don't really, I've never noticed that. So I'm going to, I guess I'll put in the comments in the pinned comment, whether or not I use both and we'll see, because that's pretty interesting. And anyway, there's a lot of other stuff. Uh, there's even, well, there was a, a tweet uh, from uh, some, uh, some people asking about uh simpson 76 you know, various different cr- uh, questions related to like QMK uh, qmk the quantum mechanical keyboard firmware and they said it will work with qmk which is awesome and it's gonna be super configurable and i can't wait i hope they have a numpad on it it doesn't look like they're going to with this screenshot but you know i would prefer a numpad but maybe since i wouldn't be wouldn't have to stretch so much it wouldn't matter but anyway i like that kind of style i like the full-size keyboards and uh, either way, I still think it's pretty cool that they're making this, and I'm very interested to in see what happens, and they're also checking, uh, announced recently that they have a new laptop that's coming, the Lemur Pro, and it's going to be arriving in April, and that it has a 10th gen uh, Intel Core i 5 10210 u man, these things, just let's just roll off the tongue, the name of these different processors, And there's also gonna be like, uh, you know, onboard graphics. It's gonna have a 14.1 inch 1080p IPS screen with a matte finish. The matte screen is very important for me. And they also are gonna have like USB Type C and some USB Type A, like 3.0 stuff. And a variety of different features. It's just mostly an improvement to the existing Lemur, and uh, it looks pretty slick. I'll have a link to that post, uh, that blog post as well, because it just looks like a super slick laptop, and I'm very interested in finding out more about it. But uh, one of their photos has it laying down flat, though, and they're like, "What? Why? Why would anybody want that? Like, why is that? Like, if it flips over, that'd be cool. So like a tablet style, but like a flat one. I don't." I don't get the appeal. It is cool that it can do it, but I'm not sure why you'd want it to do it. If you know why you'd want it to do it, let me know in the comments below because I'm very interested in that. And they also say that they're going to have the uh, the I, the IME being disabled on this as well as using Core Boot, I'm pretty sure, on this one as well too. So that's a really cool uh, about piece of the puzzle on that. So yeah, link in the show notes for both the System76 keyboard and the Lemur Pro. Next in the show is the housekeeping section and since we're just talking about system 76 check out episode of Destination Linux 165 where we had Emma Marshall from system 76 as a guest host on the show. We talked about accessibility on Linux like personal assistance, Mycroft, user, universal app formats like app images snaps, flat packs, we had a discussion about web browsers, specifically Brave and Firefox, though others were mentioned, but it was mostly about Brave and Firefox. And we also talked about Zorin OS as well as AMD accelerating their Linux development pr- uh, process and how they're working on trying to do even more for the Linux ecosystem, which is fantastic. Uh, so if you're interested in checking out, uh, be sure to do so. The link will be in the sh- in the show notes below for Destination Linux 165. Also, if you're not aware, Tux Digital and This Week in Linux are now on library. If you're not aware, Library describes itself as a secure, open, and community-run digital marketplace. That's a very fancy way of saying it's kind of like a competitor to YouTube. It also does it's not exactly a competitor to YouTube because it also allows you to do blog posts and stuff like that on it. But it's heavily focused at, or it seems to be heavily focused as a competitor to YouTube. And it also uses blockchain technology to power the platform, so it's super interesting in that concept. And in fact, I've actually contributed some code to Library since implementing it for the channel. So you could say it's getting pretty serious. And we also, a destination another Destination Linux plug, Destination Linux episode 164, we talked about uh, that Library heavily because we had an interview with the CEO and founder of Library, uh, Jeremy Kaufman. So be sure to check that out if you're interested in learning more about the alternative to YouTube that is called Library. By the way... So far, I, I've actually never talked' we've this pot, this show, and this channel has been on other alternatives many, many times, but I've never talked about it because all the other ones had some big glaring hole and it just made it a a pain to deal with. so I didn't really want to promote it. But library gives me a reason to promote it, and that's why I'm talking about it. Prior to you know other times, I didn't talk about those. I think Library has a lot of potential. So definitely check it out. And definitely check out the episode 164 where we had the interview with uh, Jeremy Kaufman from Library. And if you appreciate this show and this content, please help me make this show possible by be- consider becoming a patron of Tux Digital. By becoming a patron, you are directly helping me finance the creation of the show and all the other content on the channel. You also get special rewards like joining me in the new monthly patrons chat live stream that we're doing. As well as showing all the, getting all the other rewards that we have, as far as like, you know, we're I'm doing getting access, early access to videos, doing uh, patron polls. I've already started that, so you can give me your idea of what video I should do next and that kind of thing. So be sure to check it out if you're interested in helping out, make making this channel and this show possible. I'd very much appreciate it. And I also want to thank the 82 patrons of Tuxedo. Very, very awesome. Thank you very much for becoming a patron of the channel. It is incredibly humbling. That you're we are wanting to do that, and I appreciate it so so much. So yeah, thanks again, and let's get to back to the rest of the show. Up next in the show this week is Linux Mint Debian Edition four, or LMDE for short. Uh, it also has a code name of Debbie, uh, which is not necessarily related to Debian. However, it does fit perfectly. LMDE also focuses on stability because they're using the Debian based system. And they've uh, they've got a lot of interesting approaches to Debian because it's a very highly polished Debian with Cinnamon. So it means that, that, but they're also not going to get the latest uh, versions of software because it's based on Debian and Debian Stable doesn't update that fast. It's actually like a couple years or so, probably like three to four years, depending on the release cycle. It sometimes fluctuates. But Debian has a lot of great value and it's a foundational distribution for Linux and uh, like Ubuntu uses it and that kind of thing. But Linux Mint decided to make their own Debian version rather than just having the Ubuntu version. So if you're interested in having a Debian based distribution, but you want a more polished approach to it, then maybe you could check that out because it kind of gives you like an interesting approach to Debian in a you know much polished way. Uh, especially if you like Cinnamon, because the Cinnamon version in Debian is not as up-to-date in the LMDE option. They've also improved their installer. They've added support for Secure Boot, and they've added NVMe support and ButterFS sub-volume support. Uh, this is all mostly because they've updated to Debian 10 or Debian Buster with this release. The previous LMDE 4 was based on Jesse, and there's going to be a lot more... Was it Stretch, actually? I don't remember which, what the order was. Anyway... Uh, the automated partitioning was, was came, has updated with support for LVM and full and disk encryption. They've also got home directory encryption option, as well as support for automated installation of NVIDIA drivers. Uh, they also have automatic installation of microcode packages and automatic resolution bump for the live session to a minimum. Of 1024 by 6768 in VirtualBox, because this is a weird thing about distributions in Linux is that sometimes when you open them in VirtualBox or any other kind of VM, they will have this weird old 800 by 600 structure that just is kind of awkward, and they have improved that a little bit. Uh, I'd still say, hopefully, because VirtualBox has these things you can install to make it where it kind of like full screens or maximizes as much as you can give it. Uh, I think every distribution should do that. But this is a good step from the ridiculously small 800 by 600 of like 1996. So, good step in the right direction. Uh, Also, there's a lot of updates to apt because they have their own apt approach. Because apt, so very complicated. I talked about it in a previous episode, but apt has uh, the apt package, the advanced package tool from Debian, which is the whole package manager. Then there's the apt git. Uh, Packages where you manipulate stuff inside of apt. Then there's the apt binary that allows you to use a much cleaner, simplistic-style approach to managing stuff via apt. And then there's also Linux Mint's apt, which is a Python script that is kind of doing the same thing as the binary, but the difference between the two and why, you're like, why would they have that? Well, it's more than likely because Linux Mint did this years and years before. So like two thousand. 14 is when apt was created by debian Uh, and then it was also 2009 when linux mint did their apt python script so there's some history uh, probably unnecessary but there's some information for you and if you like that kind of thing please let me know and i'll add some more maybe do some separate videos talking about things like that like history of linux and that kind of thing anyway just let me know if you think in the comments below and uh, yeah, let's move on to the next topic, but we'll have a link in the show notes for Linux Mint Edition 4. Up next in the show is a new project that is being created called the PAPPL. This is a printing framework for Linux, and this is a really interesting topic. It's not actually available yet. It's still under development, but it's an interesting topic because it was created by someone who created CUPS, actually. So a decade ago... Apple, or actually more than a decade ago, Apple acquired the CUPS source code from its developer and also the lead developer became an employee of Apple. And that man, that person is named Michael Sweet. He recently parted ways with Apple and started doing the PAPPL project. And this is a printer application framework in addition to the other work that he does for the Lprint project. Uh, they're both released under Apache, if you're interested in that part. Uh, but or PAPPL really need to get a uh, I'm just going to call it Papel, okay? Sure, why not. Papel was developed as part of his work on LPrint and also the Gutenprint pr- printer application. According to the Papel GitHub page, Papel is a, is a simple C-based framework library for developing cups printer applications, which are the recommended replacement for printer drivers. He says, "I have specifically developed Papel to support LPrint and Gutenprint uh, printer application." but it is, a, it is significantly general purpose to support any kind of printer or driver that can be used on desktop servers and in embedded environments. He says that Papple supports JPEG, PNG, PWG Raster, Apple Raster, and RAW printing to printers connected to USB and over the network. So Papple provides access to printer via its embedded IP, IPP everywhere. And uh, it says either local to the computer or over the whole network, which can be discovered and used by any application. One of the motivations in Suite's developing of Papel was for accelerating the IPP Everywhere adoption as well. So this is really interesting if you want to learn more about this. It's not technically ready yet to be used, but I just thought it was really cool that the guy who started CUPS decided to, when he left that he started to make more improvements to printing on Linux because this is a very, very important topic for Thousands, if not millions, of people. So, very awesome. Thank you for that work very much, Mr. Sweet. So, if you'd like to know more about this, I'll have a link in the show notes below. Purism announced the Libra Mini. So, Purism has released a new NUC like device called the Libra Mini. If you're not aware, NUC implies the Intel NUC form factor. And this is a small form factor device that has a significant amount of power. let it's trying to pack as much as possible into a small form factor. And the specs of this particular device is an Intel Core i7 8565U Whiskey Lake Edition, 4 cores, 8 threads, up to 4.6 GHz CPU. And this that's the boost speed. Integrated graphics, option to upgrade to 64 gigs of RAM, 1 SATA 3, 6 Gigabit per second, M.2 NVMe storage drive, HDMI 2.0, DisplayPort 1.2, which are both listed to support 4K at 60 Hz. It has multiple USB supports, so it's USB 3, USB 2, and USB Type C, which would be 3.1. It also has one RJ45 or gigabit Ethernet jack, as well as the option to include Wi Fi and Bluetooth modules. There are a lot of similar devices out there on the market, including some that look very, very similar in terms of like the same ODM, maybe. And so this looks like a rebranded device that has some tweaks on it. And that's not necessarily a big deal or it's not necessarily a bad thing. But with their history of lackluster device launches, missed release dates, the Librem 5 missteps, the tablet crowdfunding issues, overpriced laptops, and, you know, other stuff. I'm just going to let you decide how excited you are about this one. I wish them luck, but at this point, I don't have much faith in this. Up next to the show, news from Microsoft, as they have acquired NPM. Now, it says GitHub has acquired NPM, but, I mean, really, Microsoft owns GitHub, so just say it, you know. Anyway, so NPM is the originally short for Node Package Manager, but it was, you know, they didn't want to make it exclusive to Node, so they just started changing the name of it. And now that the point where they just make a joke about how it means nothing and then just random name, you know, you go to their website, some random combination of letters or words that have NPM, you know, that's what it'll show. Uh, but it's a package manager for JavaScript programming languages. And it's definitely the largest package or software re- re- registry for. Uh, JavaScript in this case, because it has like 1.3 million packages that have over 75 billion downloads a month. So that seems like a huge task to manage. No pun intended with the package management thing. Anyway, so normally I do like puns, but if they're intended, I'll tell you. (laughs) Anyway, so Microsoft purchased GitHub, and people were, it it was a controversial topic there. Uh, but there is also some benefits to it because there was issues that GitHub was going to go out of, you know, just die as a project because uh, they didn't have the sustainability. And Microsoft coming in and helping buying it, in theory, helps that. And there's also issues of like, you know, Microsoft used to be horrid. Now they're being somewhat good in the terms of like they are helping a variety of different projects. They are... Uh, Open sourcing a lot of projects, they're donating to a lot of projects. There's, I mean, they're even contributors to the Linux Foundation in terms of like uh, monetarily. There's, there's also, you know, they're on the board for the Linux Foundation. Like three people are, so that's kind of weird. But in some cases, Microsoft has changed. I mean, not completely. They still do horrible things like telemetry in Windows 10, which is just atrocious. But in terms of open source they have changed drastically because they used to you know be absolutely horrible to linux and open source and to say that even if this goes as far as like Balmer said it was linux was a cancer uh, he's no longer involved in microsoft that's why it's different because you know he getting him out of the position makes it possible for rationality to come in uh, but uh, it's it is interesting that they're doing this so the the opinion of a lot of people is that this is going to hurt open source and hurt the javascript um community or whatever i don't really know exactly if it will or not but it is fairly interesting that this is you know happening i think it's kind of bad in terms of like a company controlling a repository of this size that is heavily focused on open source software i think that's kind of weird but at the same time if it's that size maybe it's not sustainable without somebody backing it I don't know let me know what you think in the comments below because I would really like to know Uh, and you know I'm not in this space as much as I used to be in terms of like development and that kind of thing so if you are more experienced in this topic please let me know what you think in the comments below or on the forum thread that I'll have linked in the description of this video if you thought one Microsoft topic was enough You're wrong. Two. We're going to do two, specifically WSL2. See what I did there? That was an intended pun. Anyway, so the WSL2 with the Linux kernel is coming soon. So it's actually been in like insider preview for a very long time. But in a major change to its initial plans, Microsoft say that the Linux kernel, which powers WSL2, will no longer be a part of the OS image directly, and it will ship as a Windows update. So they say that we've removed the Linux kernel from the Windows OS image and instead we'll be delivering it in your machine via Windows Update the same way that third-party drivers like graphics drivers and touchpad drivers and stuff like that are installed and updated on your machine. So the reason why this is being done is to make it faster and kind of more sustainable, and in there, in there, that's how they're describing it. So this is interesting because it, this is a Hyper-V technology that using the Linux kernel to do certain things uh, they have uh, support for a variety of different distributions that you can load inside of Windows, basically, and a you know it's a it's a very interesting approach. We've talked about WSL before. If you want to go more into depth into it, we actually had an interview with someone who works for Canonical on WSL, and you can learn more about WSL in general with him uh, as Hayden Barnes. It's a really interesting interview. I'll have that linked in the show notes. And I think it's definitely worth checking out in terms of like that interview if you want to learn more about WSL. I will also have a link to the, you know, the information about this particular announcement in the show notes below if you if you want to check more about that. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on the show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the Tux Digital channel, we have multiple ways to contribute via Patreon, sponsors, PayPal, and many others. You can learn more by going to tuxdigital.com slash contribute. Or you can order the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt by going to tuxdigital.com slash Linux is Everywhere. Or if you're in Europe, you can go to tuxdigital.com slash EU for shipping inside of Europe. We also have ways to contribute without any cost to you by using our affiliate links. You can find links for places like Amazon, Humble Bundle, and many more by going to tuxdigital.com slash affiliates. And if you'd like some more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episode of Destination Linux as I'm a co-host of that show and be sure to check out episode 165 like i talked about earlier in the show where we had Emma from System 76 on as a guest host and there was a lot of great conversation on that episode and also be sure to check out episode 164 if you haven't already where we did the interview with the CEO and founder of Library Jeremy Kaufman both both episodes are definitely worth checking out so do be sure to do that and Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tunnell with Tux Digital and the Destination Linux Network. And as always, keep using, learning, and enjoying Linux.